listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture this morning is found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Now Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his censer, put fire in it, and laid incense on it. And they offered unholy fire before the Lord, such he had not commanded them. And fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord meant when he said, Through those who are near me I will show myself holy, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron was silent. Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphan, sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come forward and carry your kinsmen away from the front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. They came forward and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had ordered. And Moses said to Aaron and to his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not dishevel your hair, and do not tear your vestments, or you will die, and wrath will strike all the congregation. But your kindred, the whole house of Israel, may mourn the burning that the Lord has sent. You shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of the meeting, or you will die. For the anointing of the oil of the Lord is on you. And they did as Moses ordered. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, Drink no wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons, when you enter the tent of the meeting, that you may not die. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thanks for that reading, Ron. So if you're uh, visiting today, or if you're, uh, maybe you've been away for a few weeks, you're probably a little confused right now, right? Like, what did we just read? Um, We're working our way through the book of Leviticus this summer. Uh, We spent a few weeks talking about sacrifices. Last week, we talked about the priesthood, and we had an anointing. That was really special. That was a really cool uh, time here in worship. And today, we get what is really the only narrative, the only real story in the entire book of Leviticus. Remember, Leviticus, this book is an ancient instruction manual for priests. There's not a lot of stories in these pages. And the one story we do get is this one that Ron just read for us, where Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, come forward to do their priestly duty, to offer sacrifices for the very first time. They do it wrong and a fire from the Lord consumes them. Don't you just hate it when that happens, right? Like, what? Um, Last week I was talking to somebody after church, and they were like, 
man, I'm really loving this Leviticus series. I was expecting a lot more hellfire and brimstone. Here you go. We got it. <clears throat> I shouldn't laugh at this. Like, there's something deeply wrong with me. Um, this is a really dark story, right? Like, this is awful. Um, two people get burned alive in this one. That's terrible. But if you have a really twisted sense of humor and, and an appreciation for irony, there is sort of a dark comedy playing out here. Let's not forget, this book opened with seven chapters of instructions about sacrifices. Seven chapters of like detailed, step-by-step, here's what you do. It's basically idiot-proof, right? Like no one could mess this up. Then in chapters eight and nine, we get the ordination of the priests, the people who are gonna offer sacrifices. There's all this pomp and circumstance, the ritual, it's a time of celebration, this spiritual mountaintop experience of like, yes, this is it. We've got this, we're gonna do this. And then they blow themselves up. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny if you're really, really dark. There's, there's a Monty Python version of this that would be amazing, I think. This is what I love about the book of Leviticus, and it's, it's true of the entire Bible, really, but Leviticus is like a hyper-concentrated form. You open it up, you start reading, and it's like, wow, this is really weird. Then you turn the pages, and it's like, wow, this, this is weird too, but this is a different sort of weird. Then you turn the page again, and it's like, oh my gosh, what is happening? How can you not love and be just blown away by the Bible? <clears throat> Let's dive into this really dark, uh, dark comedy, sort of funny story, um, and see if there's any grace for us amidst all the hellfire and brimstone. I'm going to reread a little bit of this, uh, Leviticus 10, starting in verse 1. You can follow along on the screen. <clears throat> now Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, each took his censer, put fire in it, and laid incense on it. And they offered unholy fire, or strange fire, literally, in the Hebrew. Nadab and Abihu offered a strange fire before the Lord, such as God had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. All right, Aaron is the high priest. Moses' brother. Do you remember uh, the burning bush episode where uh, God tells Moses, go and liberate my people, and Moses is like, please send somebody else, right? Like, they're not going to listen to me. I don't speak very well. And so God sends Moses' brother to help, to be his mouthpiece. That's Aaron, the high priest, okay? Nadab and Abihu are two of Aaron's sons, two of the same sons that we read about last week getting anointed. That just happened, by the way. This is like right after all that. Aaron's sons load up their censers with fire and incense. They go before the Lord. They enter into the innermost part of the sanctuary where God lives. They offer a strange fire that God didn't ask for, and a fire comes out from the presence of the Lord and consumes them. So Moses turns to Aaron's cousins, verse 4. Moses Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphan, sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, 
and said to them, Come forward and carry your kinsmen away from the front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. Basically, um, get rid of these charred corpses of your cousins. This is dark, you guys. This is, this is scary stuff. Verse 5, they came forward and they carried them by their tunics out of the camp as Moses had ordered. And Moses said to Aaron and his remaining sons, uh, Eleazar and Ithamar, do not dishevel your hair, do not tear your vestments or you will die and wrath will strike all the congregation. But your kindred, the whole house of Israel, may mourn the burning that the Lord has sent. You shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting or you will die for the anointing oil of the Lord is on you. And they did as Moses had ordered. What a strange story, our one story in Leviticus. Moses has the bodies of his nephews removed from the scene. Then he goes to Aaron, their father, and he's like, don't mess up your hair, don't tear your clothes, don't do any of the normal outward signs of mourning, or you'll die. Let the Israelites mourn for Nadab and Abihu. You have work to do. This sounds kind of harsh, right? Like, like Moses comes off like a bit of a jerk in this passage, and, and he is kind of a jerk in this passage. But more importantly, though, what kind of God is being described here? Vengeful? Luan? Yeah. A God who burns you up if you make a mistake? That doesn't sound very Jesus-like to me. To get into all this, let's back up a little bit and let's talk about Nadab and Abihu and what they did, this strange fire that they offered. Scholars are pretty split on what exactly went down here. Uh, There's a lot of different opinions, a lot that the text really doesn't tell us. But I do have a video clip I want to show you guys, you're going to love it, um, that will help sort of visualize what went down here. It's from the movie Zoolander. Let's roll it. Model, idiot.
Oh, the looks on your faces right now are amazing. <laughs> so, so that's ridiculous, right? <clears throat> but you have the celebration, right? As they make their way to the gas station, the, the temple, we'll call it. You have an anointing of sorts, and then they blow themselves up. This is not exactly how it went down at the temple, all right? Let's, let's be clear about that. But <clears throat> this might be a bit closer to what actually happened than you would think. <clears throat> Let me explain. So as I said, there are a lot of different theories for what exactly happened here, uh, what exactly Nadab and Abihu did. One of those theories uh, is that they offered a sacrifice in a way that was similar to the other nations. Think like the idolatrous nations, Israel's neighbors. Um, they might have been like parroting something they saw in Egypt, offering their sacrifice, their fire, in a way similar to like idol worship. That could have been what made God so angry and caused all this to happen. That's one theory. Another is that Nadab and Abihu were trying to one-up their dad. Um, they might have been challenging Aaron's authority. Remember, Aaron's the high priest. And the high priest is supposed to take the lead. The other priests aren't even supposed to enter the innermost part of the sanctuary. That's reserved for the high priest, and he goes in once a year. So one of the theories is that Nadab and Abihu were a little too full themselves, riding high off of their ordination. And they were like, we got this. We can handle this. We don't have to wait on Dad and Uncle Aaron. We can do this ourselves. And so... They took the fire, went in, and the fire came out. That's the second theory. The third theory is my favorite, though, <clears throat> and that's that they were drunk. If we're going with the Monty Python interpretation, this actually works really well. Right after all of this happens in verse 9, which, by the way, is the first time God speaks in this passage, the first words we get from God, is this command to Aaron that priests shouldn't drink alcohol while offering their sacrifices. Check this out, verse 9. Drink no wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons, when you enter the tent of meeting, that you might not die. So one of the theories is that they were drunk. Nadab and Abihu were hanging out in the tabernacle for seven days, sampling the ceremonial wine, they loaded up their censers with fire, and they blew themselves up. Which, little public service announcement with July 4th coming up, right, in a week. Um, beer and fireworks, not a great combination. You know, there's going to be a story in the newspaper on July 5th about someone who blew off a thumb or worse. You want to be of sound mind when handling pyrotechnics. So I think it's perfectly reasonable. These two guys could have been intoxicated, played with fire, and died. The point with all these theories, though, I show you this because we don't really know what happened here. The text doesn't tell us. What it does tell us is that they went before the presence of God, a place they weren't supposed to be. They offered a strange fire that God didn't ask for, and they didn't make it out alive. So this does not seem to be like your run-of-the-mill blunder here. So that's the story, anyway. That's kind of what we're going with. <clears throat> what lessons do we take away from this text? Like, what are we supposed to learn from this today? Because, like, we don't do this stuff anymore, right? 
Like, this isn't a mega church. We don't have pyrotechnics. We don't have a fog machine. I'm not going to, like, go into the innermost part of the sanctuary and start a fire. We don't do this anymore. So what can we learn from this? I think there's actually a couple lessons we can take away uh, from this ancient story. And the first is be careful how close you get to the seat of power. Be careful how close you get to the seat of power. There's a certain draw, a certain attraction to power and authority, especially in, like, religious settings. Being in charge, being the one with all the answers, being the one people look to for leadership. But the Bible warns us over and over again that being in leadership is dangerous. God holds leaders to a higher standard than everybody else. James, the brother of Jesus, warns us about this in James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Awesome. It's one of my favorite verses. Um, Seriously, though, if you are a leader in the church and reading the Bible doesn't scare the crap out of you on a regular basis, you might not be reading the Bible very well. Leaders are held to a greater standard. Or, like, have you ever met anyone who was, like, chasing power? They were after authority and prestige, making a name for themselves, maybe trying to climb the corporate ladder. How many lives have been ruined? How many families have been destroyed because someone was after power? If that's what's going on in this passage, if Aaron's sons were trying to one-up their dad, this story makes a lot of sense as a warning for the rest of us, a sort of object lesson. God holds the powerful to account. Be careful in seeking power that you don't destroy yourself. It's lesson one. Another important takeaway uh, from this passage it's just the raw power of religion for, like, good and evil, right? Religion, when it's going well, when it's, like, firing on all cylinders, when the leaders know what they're doing, when the people are on board, religion, when it's healthy and well-functioning, can be one of the most powerful forces for good on the planet. But man, when religion goes bad, when leaders abuse their power, when people start dividing into us and them, when emotionally immature people start to use religion as a weapon, it can become one of the most dangerous forces on the planet. We have a number of folks in this congregation who have been hurt by destructive forms of religion. There's a lot of spiritual trauma in this room right now. If that's you, if you've been through something like that, know that you are not alone in here. I served on staff at a church in Los Angeles uh, for about a year as their interim youth pastor. It was a bigger church uh, with a big staff. The head pastor uh, was an absolute nightmare to work for. He was a a good guy, you know, personally, and decent pastor to this large congregation, but an awful boss. We would start every staff meeting, not with like a prayer or a devotion or like checking in on each other, no. Every staff meeting started with a review of the numbers from the previous Sunday, the attendance figures. 
the head pastor would give us this printout that showed how many people were in church and how many people showed up to like each of our given areas of ministry. And it showed it for the previous Sunday, the week before that, and then the two Sundays of the previous year. And if there was any drop, we had to give an account. If there were like 12 kids at high school youth group this week, but last week there were 14, I had to be ready to explain the drop in numbers. And if your explanation wasn't up to snuff, the head pastor would berate you in front of the entire staff. I don't know why it wasn't his fault. That's a good question. I should have asked him. I was too scared. (laughs) Amen, yeah. But religion in the hands of immature, emotionally immature people is incredibly dangerous. If you've been through it, know that you're not alone, but also know that the Bible is well aware of how destructive religion can be. The Bible is not naive about this stuff. Scripture doesn't give us some lofty picture about how, like, religion is just the answer to all that's wrong with the world. The Bible is actually pretty clear-eyed and honest about how dangerous religion can be. When it's good, it's really good. But man, when it goes wrong, look out. That's lesson number two. There's a third lesson we can take from this story, and I think this is really where the grace comes in to this. And that's that this stuff is hard. Following God is hard. Being a Christian, practicing our faith, living like Jesus is not easy. Often I think um, our our faith has a sort of sales pitch aspect. Um, You see it all the time in like Christian movies and stuff like that where the message is if you come to faith, if you place your trust in Jesus, then life will be easy. Everything will work out. Your relationships will be great. You'll be successful. But that's not how it works. What's that? Go back to James 3.1, exactly, exactly. How often do you come off of some kind of spiritual high, um, some mountaintop experience, only to come crashing back down to earth? Like, um, you go on a short-term mission trip, or you go on a retreat, or you get anointed in the worship service, only to, like, leave the sanctuary and completely mess it up. One minute, you're having this spiritual high, and then like a half hour later, you're like flipping someone off in the Wegmans parking lot. How many people have been there? This stuff is hard. It's really hard to follow Jesus. It's hard to live our faith. We are going to screw this up over and over again. But that's where I think we can actually find some grace in this passage. And we see it with Aaron. Look what happens with Aaron, the high priest. Put yourself in this guy's shoes for a second. Next slide. There we go. Put yourself in Aaron's shoes. Your sons have just died right in front of you. I mean, right there, I'm out. Like, game over for me. You've suffered this, like, unimaginable loss. Your sons have not only, like, broken your heart with their awful decision-making, they've also embarrassed you in front of everyone. Because remember, the whole assembly of Israel is there watching this. 
If you're Aaron, it's over, right? Clearly, I'm not the guy. Clearly, I'm not cut out for this. Find someone else. God can't use me. I've screwed this up, and there is no going back. But that's where God's words to Aaron are so incredibly powerful. The only words we get from God in this entire story, the only time God speaks, is when God gives words of affirmation to Aaron. Check this out, verse 8. The Lord spoke to Aaron, Drink no wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons, when you enter the tent of meeting, that you might not die. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. You're still in this. This is not game over for you. I know you've messed up. I know you're feeling pretty low right now, but you are still my chosen servant. I am still with you. See, God's not nearly as surprised by our failures as we are. Right? It's always such a shock when, like, the church messes up or, like, a big-name Christian leader falls from grace. We're always so surprised. God is not surprised. We beat ourselves up when we screw up. We fall into these cycles of shame and guilt, but that's not where God goes. God knows your faults. God knows your struggles and temptations. God knew how you would fail before God called you to follow him, and God called you anyway. I know you've messed up. I know you feel like a failure right now, but this is not over. We're still in this. I'm with you. Let's move forward. Let's move forward. That's grace and healing and love, and it's all right here in this dark story about a strange fire. Let's pray. God, thank you for words of grace that come to us even in the darkest of stories. Thank you for loving us no matter what. Thank you for knowing us more deeply than we know ourselves and for calling us to be your people. Thank you for healing us when we've been wounded by religion. Thank you for showing us grace when we're the ones who mess it up. God, help us to extend that same grace to ourselves. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. 
Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.